Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, October 10th. History made at the 2020 French Open on this day as Iga Sviantek earns her first of what seems like many major titles in her career. She knocks out Sophia Kennan in straight sets. Such a phenomenal match. And of course, we'll talk about all the history made by Sviantek in this moment. Of course, we also want to preview tomorrow's showdown, match number six. 65 between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, their 25th matchup on clay, their 8th matchup at the French Open. So much excitement to talk about. So joining me to do just that today, as he has throughout these past two weeks in Paris, you of course know him as our crack rackets do everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, and perhaps not more so now than ever before, the forefather of the forehand slice, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, I know we are caught talking with you now after you just got off the court your own three-set battle. Think that was a sneak preview of our men's final tomorrow? Man, well, if so, then both Djokovic and Nadal are going to be in horrible shape and have really <laughs> sore bodies tomorrow. Um, so I hope that's not the case, but my goodness, am I out of playing shape. No, I know the thing you wish you had right now more than anything in Aerobar, and with that in mind, let's talk about this right now. Of course, the reason we've been able to have so much fun with this French Open, the the reason we're able to provide this coverage day in, day out here at Crack Rackets, because of the support we get from our friends at Aerobar and Midwest Sports, and it's a bit of a tangent, I apologize for this, but perhaps this is a conversation that resonates with you listeners, and if you were like Jamie and I, you played a lot of tennis growing up, and we're still closer to those days and we are further away. So with all due respect, again, to some of you listeners, I'm, I'm going to speak for you here, Jamie, and then obviously I want to let you talk about this. You know, when when you play tennis very frequently, you're only two, three years removed from that. It feels like you can still pick it up at a moment's notice. The ground strokes aren't that rusty. The thing you get mad about yourself, you know, the movement, right, or the nutrition, the fitness, you're just like, man, that's the thing that went away quickest, and that's where our friends at Aerobar come in, and I'm sure, Jamie, you wish you had had an arrow bar during your three-hour battle maybe two or three my goodness yeah I was I was really struggling out there and, and all I had was water um, and a power bar and that simply was not doing it so no I need to order up myself a case of arrow bars pretty much stat if I'm going to try and continue to play in this league because it, hopefully if this is a preview of what's to come I'm in a lot of trouble Yeah, and it really is so difficult to find a tennis-specific energy bar, right? There are so many generic things, and maybe that works for you, but if you're looking for something more specific, you're looking for something that is sure to give you that extra boost you need on the court, turn to our friends at Aerobar. You use our promo code CRACK15, you'll get 15% off when you go to their website, aerobar.com, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors, aerobar.com. The promo code is CRACKED15. Of course, Maybe you popped a string the last time you were on court. Maybe you're just like, hey, this rack- racket frame, it's not working for me anymore. Now, I'm blessed. Much like Iga Sviantek, I found a Prince racket that worked for me, and I'm never going to change from my Prince Graphite. But maybe you are looking to update your racket, update your strings, update your apparel. Know that you can find everything you're looking for on our friend's Midwest Sports website, MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. You'll get free two-day shipping on all orders. 
orders exceeding $75, and of course, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls. We were also so fortunate to be joined by Midwest Sports' Dave Limke on Friday on the Great Shot Podcast, who talked about the latest deals, the latest offerings, and there are always cool giveaways going on at Midwest Sports. I believe right now they're giving away the newest Babolat. I think it's the AeroDrive. I, I forget the brand, but it's a racket giveaway, folks. You'll be interested, so go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Now, again, time for the grand finale, right? Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal kicking off Sunday morning here on the East Coast of the United States. But we got another final here on Saturday, and it was an absolute blast. It's not often that you get two players under the age of 21 in a Grand Slam final. Of course, that's what we were treated to today as we got Sophia Kennan taking on Iga Sviantek. The last time this happened at Roland Garros, it was two young women by the name of Justine Ennin taking on Kim Kleisters, so obviously that's some pretty neat company to join in. The story of these past two weeks, honestly, starting with her first round win, 2-1 over Marketa Vandrusova, following through, she knocks off number one seed and prohibitive favorite, so uh, Simona Halep by the same score, and you know, today, it was business as usual for our Grand Slam champion, Iga Sviantek, as she knocks off Sophia Kennan, 6-4, 6-1, now, what's so amazing, this is the only only the second time during these two weeks in Paris that someone has even gotten to a 6-4 set against Sviantec, but regardless of that set score from start to finish, Jamie, this one was all Iga. Yeah, and just to back it up slightly, how impressive is it? Sviantec just did this throughout the entire tournament. Every single match was just straight sets and convincing. She looked in control. She had a few moments where it looked like she wasn't at her peak. But for the most part, this entire tournament, it was like, wow, that's a good upset. Oh, a good win from Sviantec. Oh, she's the favorite to win. Oh, she just won this tournament. Like, And just the entire time, she never wavered, right? She wasn't having these really tight battles that she was having to scramble out of. It was just routine. It didn't matter the opponent. And that story continued today. Just so solid. I mean, we obviously, we're going to really get into it here. But I mean, where I have to start is how good she was on the return. The relentless pressure that she put on Kennan didn't allow her to get in any rhythm. And that means Shrantek just had a field day throughout this entire match. So it was just so impressive to see and hopefully very promising for the future. So you talk about the way Sviantec rolled through this tournament. I have the stat for where she ranks in history, and I want to save that till the end. But yeah, when you look at this match, we said it going into the preview, or I apologize, we gave you a much-deserved day off yesterday. So I said this yesterday coming into the match for Sofia Kennan. It's not too dissimilar from what she saw in Petra Kvitova, in that for Kennan, the game plan was simple. You got simple with a grain of salt. The game plan was clear, is the word I should say. You got to make your first serve because it's... If Sviantec, as you mentioned, gets to play first strike with her return of serve, she's just been too good all tournament long. She takes control of the point. She changes direction on you. She moves forward. She blitzes through you, and she's off the court in an hour 20. And, you know... Sophia Kennan had to do very similar, uh, had to do a lot of similar things against Petra Kvitova. The difference in this match being Iga Sviantek moves so well for such a, or for a young player. I mean, 19 years old, five foot ten. You could understand she, if she's still trying to grow into her body, learn exactly how it functions. I can tell you, when I was 19 years old, I was still growing. I have this vivid memory. It's a winter, uh, sophomore year of college. I'm walking outside of the house of the most beautiful sorority on campus. There's a nice patch. I don't see it. I fluff 
you know, fall flat on my butt. That was me at 19. Iga Swiatek, the exact opposite, just in control of everything she's doing on the court. And she raced out to a three-love lead, right? She gets the early break. She's doing all the things you expect to see from her, taking the ball early, you know, moving forward, being aggressive. And just more importantly, no matter what Sophia Kennan tried, she just wasn't able to do anything easily on the court. Swiatek, because of her movement, because of her power, she just took everything Kennan wanted to do away. And I mean, Sviantek just overwhelmed her from start to finish. Yeah, 100%. And, and for Kennan, we, you mentioned it, right? It started with the first serve. I think to get into this a little bit, let's start on the Kennan side for her performance. I think, look, she did a pretty good job of getting the first serve in, right? She goes 69% across the match. But I, I really think she needed to you know, try some new things here because clearly that wasn't doing the trick, right? She l- wins less than 50% of those first serve points, even when she's getting it in. And it drops to a dismal 24% when we're talking second serve. So she really needed to switch things up here. Obviously, there's only so much you can do because Fiontek was just that good on the return. On the flip side, Sophia Kennan, you know, she kept herself in this match as well as she could. Every breakpoint chance she had, she converted. Now, only three of those, so she goes three for three. But realistically, this match, you know, the scoreline could have looked worse if she didn't take those opportunities as well as she did. So here's the big game. It was three or four three Sviantek in that first set. And, you know, again, Sviantek raced out to a three low O lead. Kennan held for one three. She broke Sviantek in a loose game from Sviantek. The one loose game she maybe played this entire major. There were a couple first ball errors. Kennan was able to take a couple of backhand returns early, hit them deep, hit them to good targets, and then move the ball around. But in that 30 40 game, there's a couple of balls that I just kind of think epitomize what was the problem for Sophia Kennan in this match and you know she goes up 30-15 she makes a first serve she's moving the ball around the court she opens up the forehand down the line for herself but she misses that forehand wide and it was because she had to go for a little bit extra because of how well Sviantek moves this isn't Petra Kvitova who if you can stretch her you know twice the third ball if you can make that ball you probably have enough space to hit the winner Sviantek sliding hitting the ball deep and recovering to the next shot and so Kennan forced to go for a little bit more. She makes an error. Same deal. 40-30. She sets up a forehand cross court, and it was the right shot attempt. She just missed it a little bit wide. The game goes to deuce. Eventually, Sviantek breaks for 5-3. Now, of course, Kennan did break back. Sviantek blinked a little bit. Kennan, again, the way she's able to take that backhand return early when she was able to anticipate the Sviantek kick serve. She actually did a really good job of hitting again and taking control of points. And, you know, Sviantek, 13 of 25 on second serve. That sounds good. But in the first set, she was 8 of 15 on second serve points, 10 of 17 on first serve points. You know, Kennan was really just in every point, in every game. But, you know, just ultimately, Iga Sviantek overwhelmed Sophia Kennan. And you look at the stats in this match, only made 53% of her first serves, but won 68% of those points, won 50 52% of her second serve points, 25 winners against 17 unforced errors. It says she's 6 of 7 at the net, but again, how much success did she have hitting that approach shot down the line, taking the ball early, just you know, ripping the winner or drawing an easy error from Kennan? I mean, Sviantek overwhelmed her. From start to finish, she wasn't afraid of the stage. She wasn't overwhelmed by the moment. She was everything we've seen from her since the start of this Grand Slam. Yeah, and and the way this match went was just really fitting, right? It would have been a shame 
to see her, you know, her level drop, right? But it didn't. Um, she did exactly what she's done throughout this entire tournament. As you mentioned, there were no sort of big stage nerves for her, which was, you know, a great sign of things to come. You know, I, I just, you mentioned it, right? She just put so much pressure on Kenan. Kenan wasn't able to do anything, right? She only comes up with 10 winners in this entire match, I think one of which is an ace. I mean, she just could not do anything because the I mean, the, the points were all on Sviantek's racket, and she did a phenomenal job of executing the way she needed to. So, you know, so Kofia Kennan, yeah, sure, there's some things she could have done better, particularly on the serve. But realistically, this wasn't a you know, this wasn't about it being a bad performance from her. I mean, this was just all Iga Sviantek from start to finish. I'm really happy you said that because that was going to be my next and last point on this match was that Sophia Kennan did not play a bad match. And in the second set, she kind of went away a little bit both physically and mentally. And, you know, that can happen in a final, particularly after you get the break back. You have 4-5. You get broken for that first set. And, you know, uh, we talked about it coming into this match. Four of her six wins on at this event came in three sets. She's played a lot of physical tennis. But, you know, Kennan was trying everything. She was, as we mentioned, taking returns early. She was, as we mentioned, making first serves and trying to do things with that first ball because, again, you just couldn't let Sviantek take control of the point. But when I watch Iga Sviantek play, you know, when I project her moving forward, and I guess here's where you can throw in some of these stats for Iga Sviantek, what she's accomplished here by winning this title. You know, what's so funny, Jamie, you look for her in her pro career. This is the eighth title of her career. The previous seven all came at the ITF level. So this is her first WTA level title. Of course, it's also a Grand Slam victory. You look at some of the other things. You know, for her, she becomes the youngest Roland Garros champion since Monica Seles in 92, the first uh, teenager since Eva Majoli in 1997. I mean, again, Iga Swiatek. She was the first, by the way, uh, Polish player to win a Grand Slam singles title. You know, she was a, a two-time Grand Slam junior, a junior Grand Slam champion, and I think we, you know, we certainly here at Cracked Rackets have always discussed her when we talk about the many next-gen talents on tour. But just to see the way she dominated the field these past two weeks, I mean. I don't know. When you start projecting moving forward, Jamie, what are your thoughts on Iga Sviantek's game? Because you look at it, and it just feels so translatable across surfaces. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, look, she plays this sort of— high power offense where she's dictating and, and it's not like she's just completely blowing people off the court but she's stepping into balls you know she is obviously taking the first strike when she has the chance and keep in mind she just did this on you know clay courts that were playing really slowly with balls that were heavier everyone was talking about it you know imagine what she can do come time for a fast hard court right um so i, I think you're absolutely right completely transferable across surfaces really promising stuff i, I think this is one where you and I both talked about Sviantek being a dangerous lurker in this draw. Obviously, it turned out to be much more than that, you know. And, and a great performance would have been for her to get to that Halep match, put in a real fight, and lose in three sets. That would have been a phenomenal um, tournament for Iga Sviantek. But she just took it to a whole nother level. I mean, the first tour level title she gets is Roland Garros. That's ridiculous. In some ways, I hope it's not an unfortunate you know, thing where it's like, oh, crap, where do you go from here, right? Because that's not exactly a sustainable building block for your first tour title to be the French Open. That being said, though, I, I don't know how you see this performance and don't look and just see so much promise with her game. You know, I don't think it's going to be like one of the random runs to a friend, uh, to a major title that we've seen on the WTA tour over the last 10 years. You know, you can name a few and say, well, that was a weird fluke. 
I don't think that's the case for Iga Swiatek, and I'm really excited to see what she does in the next five, ten years. No, here's where the historic aspect of this accomplishment comes in. There have been four women, Jamie, and by the way, this stat, I got to give credit, it comes to my man at Goku Tasks, and I apologize if I pronounce that incorrectly, but... You know, he compiled the list of the most dominant Roland Garros performances in terms of sets loss, in terms of, you know, total games loss. There have been only two players in French Open history uh, who have gone through the French Open and not only not lost a set, but not lost a set and lost fewer than 30 games. Steffi Graf did it in 1988, and Iga Swiatek did it in 2020. Steffi Graf, the number one seed in that event, Iga Swiatek ranked 54 coming into this one. You expand that. There are only 30 players in total who have gone through the French Open and lost 30 games or fewer. It's Graf with 20, which by the way, holy crap, why don't we talk about Steffi Graf more often, Iga Swiatek 28, Serena Williams 29, Martina Navratilova 30. I mean, the list of players who have lost fewer than 40 games. Here's the entire list. Graf, Swiatek, Serena, Navratilova, Selis, Sharapova, Arantxa Sanchez, Justine Annen, uh, Anna Mandlikova. I mean, like, yes, I agree with you. This is a sign of incredible things to come. You don't do this at age 19 and do it in the fashion that she did. It's so convincing. And, you know, again, she was always a player with so much promise. It just happened a little bit quicker than any of us expected. And maybe if this was a normal 2020 season, we would have seen her have a couple of good runs on the clay or have a nice six-week stretch at, you know, an international level or a premier mandatory or something like that. But that wasn't the case this year. Everything was condensed. And obviously, we see her jump out to this phenomenal performance. And you know, again, this is a little thing, uh, but you talk about mechanically. You know, the forehand backswing is a little bit big, is a little bit funky, and you could tell in this match, Sophia Kennan made a concerned effort to serve to that side, right? She thought, if I can get pace into that Sviantec forehand, she may pop a ball up, and then I'll have a chance to attack with my plus one shot. And I do think players like a Sabalenka or like an Osaka could overwhelm that Sviantec uh, side of the court with their pace, but... I mean, it's the difference in the game styles. Osaka with the overwhelming power. Kennen with the variety she plays with. Sviantek with the way she attacks and moves forward. Andrescu, a little bit of all of the above. I mean, oh, this next decade of women's tennis is going to be incredible. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a ton of fun, right? And obviously a lot of those players, even some of whom did not play this French Open, are, are going to be scouting Sviatek, right? Because it's like, oh boy, look who's coming. And so you mentioned it. They know, you know, they're going to try and put power and that sort of pressure to the forehand side. I, I mean, honestly, I think Sviatek, yeah, it's a bit funky on that side. But I think she can stand up to the pace. Sure, there's going to be some times where if someone slaps a flat one, it's going to catch her off guard and, and that weird sort of take back and maybe some wristy action could potentially lose her a point. But I'm honestly not terribly worried about it, and sorry, I have to back up for a second. Out of all the things that you randomly ask me, you didn't ask me the Steffi Groff one, and I had it ready to say, so I'm furious, <laughs> but anyway, continue. <laughs> no, I love to hear that. I would just say, again, the thing I'm just thinking about right now, and this is how my brain works, unfortunately, but I just want to watch Naomi Osaka serve to that Sviatek forehand and see how it holds up, and I know they played last year, I think, in Toronto or Montreal or wherever it was, but that to me is going to be a little detail that I think is going to define some pretty major results uh, at some Grand Slams moving forward. And so again, obviously, 
such an exciting women's event. If you want to hear our expanded thoughts, we give out some awards for this French Open on our YouTube channel. Jamie and I going on video once again. No mustaches this time, but we give out our awards, some fun names for those awards. We give our thoughts on our expanded thoughts on this French Open. So be on the lookout for that on our YouTube channel as well as on the Great Shot podcast feed. But we still have one more singles match to go, Jamie. The men's singles final taking place tomorrow. I said it earlier. I'm sure I'll say it again. But Rafael Nadal taking on Novak Djokovic, the 56th meeting between these two players on tour, which is just a crazy thought uh, considering just the stages they've played on. Of course, this is their 25th matchup on clay. Currently, Rafa holds a 17-7 to advantage. But if you look at the matches they've played on clay since 2011, Jamie, that advantage narrows to 8-7. Rafa, this is their eighth time playing at Roland Garros. Rafa, a 6-1 head-to-head advantage over Novak, although again, so many of those matchups came before 2011, before Novak really established who he was. It does feel worth noting on the Novak side, he's the only player ever to beat Rafa at two events in a row on clay. His win over Rafa, what was it, 9-7 in that fifth set in the 2015 quarterfinals, one of the matches of the 2010s. And then, of course, you talk about Novak Djokovic, the only player he has lost to here in 2020 himself after he got defaulted at the U.S. Open, and that storyline still looms as well. Rafa hasn't dropped a set coming into this one, 13th French Open final. He's 12-0 in the previous 12. I don't know where I want to start, Jamie, so I'm going to let you go first. What is the first thing you want to talk about, the first thing you think of when you think of tomorrow's men's singles final? Yeah, well, so real quick, that match you referenced, Djokovic beating um, Nadal in the quarterfinals of 2015, I, I think I, I think that was not very tight. I think that was a straight set win for Djokovic, if I remember correctly. Uh, Nadal was fading pretty fast. I think he lost 6-1 so in the third. Great shot by you, 7-5, Rafa, tw- or uh, Djokovic won 2015 in that quarterfinals. The 9-7 was the 2013 semifinal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the one that Nadal won. But um, regardless, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to learn by looking at the head-to-head of these guys. Actually, I do know, and it's nothing, right? (laughs) You're just, you're not going to discern anything. Like, if you go back and you're like, oh, but in 2014, like, no, like, all of that stuff is out the window now. These guys have played each other so many times. Look, to me, I think that Nadal has looked crisper throughout this event. I think there's some flashes of Djokovic brilliance that we saw, especially in closing out Tsitsipas. Obviously, that was a five-setter, but he was still very much in control and took that fifth set by storm. So, again, that's not really a concerning point. It's hard to know where to start in this conversation. I would say I will start here. Nadal feels like the favorite coming into this, but maybe that's how Djokovic wants it. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I was texting or talking with you on the phone. I don't remember. Djokovic going five with Tsitsipas is the exact sort of rope-a-dope Djokovic has pulled off throughout his career, where it's like, oh, now you doubt him heading into the final against Rafa? Well, watch this. And yeah, you look at the head-to-head, you really can throw it out. Although I do want to give a shout-out to our friends at Tennis Abstract because their website is phenomenal. It's the best research database in the business. And, you know, yeah, you can throw out some other things, but you look at, the, you know, some of the big numbers in this. You know, Djokovic, in all of their matchups but one since 2015, uh, or since 2011, excuse me, has served at least 60% 
50% of his first serves in the match, and he still trails 8-7. So to the point you made before, there are just no secrets between these two. They know exactly the patterns they want to go to. They know the exact adjustments they're going to make against one another. You know, the most common tweet you're going to see tomorrow if you're following this match on tennis Twitter is, oh, you know, the way Djokovic was hitting drop shots earlier in the tournament was just to set up his match against Rafa because the drop shot is so important against Rafa when he's camping six feet behind the baseline. Yeah, again, this is matchup 56 between them. We all know what the tennis is going to look like. Djokovic, the backhand down the line going to be so important for him to keep Rafa honest for, you know, him on the forehand wing as well. He's going to have to be willing to go down the line to challenge the Rafa forehand. For Rafa, it's to stay disciplined. It's to understand that, look, just because Novak Djokovic is the most flexible, probably the best at defense ever in tennis history, if you see a ball you can move in on, if you think the space is there, take it. Because, look, Djokovic is going to Djokovic. He's going to hit amazing shots. But as Tsitsipas proved, if you continue to put pressure on Djokovic, sometimes he throws in the random very poor game and he can crack. And so... Yeah, I just like what are we gonna say? What can we point out as anal you know, as analysts tactically that these two guys and honestly fans of the game don't already know because we've seen this matchup. We know what to expect from the tennis, and it's just gonna be two guys making every extra ball, competing their tails off, trying to bring home another Grand Slam title. Yeah, really, I think our role, um, most importantly, is to remind everybody of the of the mind games that Djokovic plays. Not everything you see in a tournament is just straight up him trying as hard as he can, because you're absolutely kidding yourself if you think that's what he's been doing. All of these drop shots, sure, people say, oh, it's practicing for Nadal. But Djokovic is only going to really hit those drop shots when he feels like he's in control and can can do this, right? I mean, Djokovic knows that if he needs to, he can go back and just rock the ball from the baseline. And yeah, he's going to throw in the drop shot to mix up the rhythm, especially if, as you mentioned, Nadal is camping that far back. But to me, everybody just needs to keep in mind that Djokovic, he's just hes just a mental player, right? I mean, that's, that's the simplest way to put it. But the guy is always trying to get, you know, get in his opponent's head and do weird sort of things that'll have the spectators and the and the commentators asking questions, saying, oh, what's wrong with Djokovic? And then he just snaps back out of it because he knows he can. So let's not all get fooled by that. And let's all admit that what's going to happen is it's going to go out there and be a battle tomorrow. Yeah, no, a little thing to look on. How does Rafa do on second serve points? You look at the stats between their matches when Djokovic can get over 45% of the second serve performance points, winning those, you know, winning around 50%, 51% of those on Rafa's second serve. Obviously, he has more success against Rafa, and that seems kind of obvious, but, you know, again, it, it, it's tough to take these balls early to try and take time away from Rafa, because if he beats you to the spot and is able to unload a forehand, you're not tracking down that plus one ball. That's just how good Rafa can be, and again... What are the little things? You're you're absolutely right about the mental games. For Nadal, it's the fact that he's going to have to play some slice down the line. He's going to have to be willing to drive through his backhand cross court, play against the Djokovic forehand, you know, not be afraid of those exchanges. And I don't think he is. So some of this just comes down to our role. Who do we think is playing better heading into this one? And you look at what they've done in this tournament. Again, Nadal has yet to drop a set. Now, he's only played one seed this entire event. And, you know, for Rafa, he really isn't that match tough coming into this. He played in Rome where, you know, he made the quarterfinals, lost to Schwartzman, But, you know, that he then beat Schwartzman in three tough sets in the semifinals. But that's the only seed he played now for Novak Djokovic. 
his past three rounds. He beat Hachinov in straights, PCB in four, Tsitsipas in five sets. Certainly the tougher path of the two. I don't know. When you think about these two and their form coming into this one, who's played better in your mind, Jamie? I think Nadal has played better. Um, you and I have both talking about it. Have talked about it. It's not like show-stopping tennis um, from the Spaniard like we've seen, you know, in his younger years. But regardless, he's just played cleanly and he's gotten things done. Even the, the slightest bit of worry that creeps in if he gets broken, he breaks right back. Um, and Djokovic. Again, we talk about this. Does what happened in the quarters, if he drops a set, matter at all going into the finals? No, it just simply doesn't. So if you're asking specifically about the level, it's Nadal. But I think Djokovic has just sort of like taken some breaks in some of these matches and been like, eh, I'll win, right? So so to that point, and sorry to cut you off because I just want to hold on that for a little bit. If you talk about who has played better at their best in this tournament, I think it's Novak Djokovic. I think you look at Djokovic the way he took advantage in sets one and two against Tsitsipas of those limited breakpoint opportunities, the way he rolled through his first four rounds of this event. And yeah, there were hiccups in the past two matches and the level of competition rose. And are you concerned about those hiccups? You know, to your point, no, not really, because it's Novak Djokovic. And there's never been someone more capable in tennis history of turning the switch and flipping it on than him and just physically the challenge he presents three out of five sets it's always such a difficulty now the flip side Rafa's level of play has clearly been the steadier of the two and again as you mentioned it's not a vintage Rafa performance but it's a typical holy crap Rafa's ridiculous on clay performance but I don't think Rafa's played outstanding Like, he's played well. He's done exactly what he's needed to do. But I've seen Djokovic flip the switch and hit that extra gear, and I've seen him do it on multiple occasions during this 2020 season. Again, his only loss on the year is to himself. And I just haven't seen it as recently from Rafa. And I know he was great to start this season, but I do have some concerns. No, I think I think they're valid. And I will say this, Nadal, you mentioned it already, Djokovic having the harder path. You know, I, I think I think you're right, and that at his best, he has looked better. Nadal, Nadal's maybe just a bit less flashy because Nadal has done it so cleanly. Djokovic has done it in a way where he's just defending, 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 and then just rips a backhand winner, right? So it's a, it's just a little bit flashier in what he's done. Obviously, neither of these guys have been really pushed. I mean, Djokovic was slightly by Sitsipas, but again, Djokovic really wrangled control of that thing when he needed to. I think going into tomorrow, what I'm a little bit concerned about from the Nadal's perspective is Djokovic is very comfortable with these conditions, right? If he gets into yeah. a defense, if he gets into a defensive rally, uh, that sort of position, he's fine. He's going to go forever doing that. And so I'm a little bit worried about Nadal having to be like, oh crap, well now I need to push it, go for a bigger ball, aim closer to the line, you know, really have that court be sh- um, shrunk by Djokovic. I'm a little bit concerned by that. So to me, I think Nadal really needs to do a good job of switching things up, right? He can't be all offense. He can't be all defense. Both of those lead to a Djokovic win. I, I don't know. Djokovic poses a really really interesting threat to Nadal, but I I just trust Nadal at this point and and hope that that defense from Djokovic doesn't, you know, wear him down. No, I think all of these things are good points. And, you know, again, to get to this match, you know, and I want to, we'll get to my aces of the day. So this is a good segue into that. Nadal is the slight favorite coming into this one. He is minus 139 over Djokovic, who I believe is now down to like plus 112, depending on where you look at the odds. And 
you know, those odds reflect the fact that, like all of us, the bookmakers think it's going to be a toss-up. And my problem is you get to this point at the tournament and it's your eyes versus your head versus your heart. And, you know, my head all tournament long coming into this is this is the Djokovic revenge tours. If he can get to the matchup with Rafa in the final, you can throw out everything else because... After what happened at the U.S. Open, the perfect way for him to get past that moment to make the next jump, the next great accomplishment in his career would be to come back and beat Rafa at Roland Garros. And, you know, I still have that flickering in my head. I'm like, that's the story you believed coming into this. Has there really been anything over this past two weeks to dissuade you from that thought? Has Rafa really played that well that you think that's going to be the difference? And the answer to that question is no. Like, he just hasn't. And the truth is, you know, Rafa blitzing through those early rounds. I didn't watch much of him because there wasn't much to see. And, you know, he really did get tested in that Schwartzman match. And I think everything Schwartzman did, Djokovic can do even better. And it's just, it's a lingering concern. That being said, do I ever want to bet against Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros? Absolutely not. And, you know, the great blessing of getting to work with DraftKings is we get to make these picks for the GSP ace of the day. But the paradox that poses is on the days I wanted to stay away or the days I'm not sure of the action. I can't do that because I have an obligation to you, the listeners, and of course to our friends at DraftKings to offer some sort of pick. But it's like, this match is a stay away. Like, there are so, the only thing I'm not, the only thing I'm confident of is that Djokovic is not winning in straight sets. Like, that's the only yeah. outcome I am pretty sure is not going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. That's uh, that is about the one thing I can hold on to. I, I think there's no way Nadal walks out of this without like without at least getting one set. Um, it's really hard for me. I just see so many potential outcomes that I, I I can't even calculate all of them. Could Nadal go out there and win a few, just like three straight uh, tight sets? Yeah. Could Djokovic come out there, you know, drop one set and then grind his way to a win? Sure. Could it be a classic battle in five? Absolutely, right? Like everything is on the table here. And their head-to-head records and sort of their past performances even throughout this tournament don't really give us the key to what's going to happen. So I guess it's just, uh, you know, up to us to get up and watch it. But I I do have a bit of money um, on Nadal. I had him. I I put money on him. as a futures bet to win the tournament a while back. So hopefully that one will pan out. Uh, you know, you know, there's now no secret who I'm rooting for, but uh, whew, I'm nervous. Wait, so you're not going to hedge? I don't know. Undecided. Oh, you a thousand percent should hedge. This match screams hedge. Have both sides covered. And much like you, and we can get into my aces of the day now. You know, if you listen to this podcast, if you listen to the ace of the day, you know at the start of this tournament, we said put money on the Djokovic future because he's the number one seed. He's not going to have to face Dominic Team. And we just, you know, we talked about the narrative. Everything I just said, he's going to make the final of this event. There's no mortal that's going to beat him. You have to be an immortal like Rafael Nadal to beat him. Um, and, you know, Djokovic is now in the final and so I think we have him at plus 250 coming into this one and so you know again the safe play the obvious play is to bet on Rafa to win this match and at minus 139 the odds are tempting enough to make this single match bet and you know now we win no matter what yeah our winnings are going to be a little bit less because we hedged but guess what the purpose of this is to win and if you can hedge but still win you do it that's how you make money if you don't hedge that's how vegas gets you they want you to be cocky they want you to think you know better than them and so you know i would hedge if i were you but you know i also went rafa tomorrow and that's probably now 
So I picked Rafa on the ace of the day. Is the truth is in my heart, I just I just have this suspicion that Djokovic is going to win. I don't know why. I like I can't quantify it. I I've tried to qualify it. I just think this is the match he wants more than anything. And of course, you never count Rafael Nadal out. Like I said, I don't think Rafa would ever lose this match in anything close to resembling straight sets. But I just have this itch about Novak Djokovic. He, this is his moment. He wins this match. He's at 18 slams. Rafa's at 19. Federer's at 20. But most importantly, he has broken the shield of invincibility for Rafa at Roland Garros. And that adds a whole new wrench into that discussion. And by the way, stay off tennis Twitter as soon as this match is over. It is going to be... Uh, just a cesspool of disgusting takes of who's the greatest of all time. No, my fans did. Well, Djokovic won this, but do you remember that retirement? Uh, but what about... Uh, then Just stay away from all of it. You don't want to hear any of it. But, you know, my ace of the day was Nadal. I guess I'm hedging on this podcast. I think this match goes the distance, and any time a match goes the distance, give me Novak Djokovic. Oh, again, my mind is a mess. There are so many things it's I horrible. Can say. It's you're horrible, which is why right. you should hedge, which is why you should hedge. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, but no, I mean, the one thing you're absolutely correct on, and there's no fighting it, is tennis Twitter going to be a toxic place post-match. So oh. absolutely stay away. Just go ahead and uh, flush that phone down the toilet, and you'll be in a much better <laughs> place. But uh, with all of that, though, I'm still looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, you didn't give me a pick. Give me the pick and your set score. I don't need a score, but give me the sets. I'm going bold. I'm going Nadal and straights. Oh, um, I love it. I love it. I think it's, ooh, let's say 6-3, Yeah, it's... I mean, look, again, it's the matchup we all wanted. And in 2020, you look for all the silver linings you can find. And one of the silver linings is we get Rafa Djokovic in their first French Open final. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. And, of course, my other ace of the day, I'm taking Nuno Borges over uh, Sebastian Fanislo. That's an all-ITA battle. I'm taking Francis Tiafo over Salvatore Caruso. I'm taking J.J. Wolf over, I believe, Abidzba. Uh, you parlay the three of them together, plus 212, two to win, 425. Your thoughts on that? I like it. I mean, I like hey, it. listen, you're just— you're putting names on the docket that we at Crack Rackets have been a fan of for fans of for a while. So hey, how can I root against that? So I'm saying for a grand finale, go with what you know. And those three names are three names we here at Crack Rackets know. But with that in mind, of course, there has been so much action over the course of these past two weeks in Paris. If you have missed any of it, be sure to check out our website, CrackRackets.com. Whether it's this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, or Inside Out Podcast, be sure to go like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. Of course, if you need more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at Cracked Rackets, you want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, for the of an ending job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. Jamie, any final thoughts as we head into the grand finale? Yeah, I got to give a quick shout out to my girlfriend and parents for showing up and enduring a three-hour, really ugly but triumphant win uh, in the USTA League this evening. So <laughs> that's where my head's at, and whew, I need to stretch. But uh, I, I got to get to sleep and then well-rested so I can wake up early and watch the battle between Nadal and Djokovic. 
Yeah, and of course, we will be back here tomorrow to talk about that match. But for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we hope you enjoy this finale. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone.